You may or may not have heard, but there was an election this past week. I don't know if you knew that. Um, and uh, it's not over yet. This is the election that never ends, apparently. And it's going to go on at least for a while. And as our shepherd Jay Bynum led us in prayer and meditation, uh, we certainly keep that and our leaders and our nation and our communities, our families and our future uh, in our prayers as we look ahead to what's ahead. And so I wanted to use this time in this message to ask and answer this question. So now what? Uh, what do we do now? Um, I, and I think that uh, that is something that, interestingly enough, um, the sun still rose this morning. Perhaps you noticed that as well. And I, until that time, as Jay shared, that when, when God's patience runs out and he does send his son, as Second Peter 3 says, uh, as Jay pointed out, it is because of God's grace and his mercy, uh, allowing us more opportunity to share that message and for others to repent. But then it says the day of the Lord will come, and that day uh, certainly will will happen. But until then, the sun is going to rise each day, and we are going to have a call to serve. We're grateful for our veterans, and we appreciate uh, those that are helping us honor them today. And uh, uh, Gary will mention this at the end of our service, but there's a gift for you uh, at our Family Life Center that you can just drive through and receive in the days of COVID-19. We're doing that a little differently. But that gives us, because of the sacrifices of so many, we have this wonderful opportunity and blessing to have a say in our leadership and to have a say in how our country uh, goes. And that's a, that's a blessing that not everyone in the world shares. And so we're thankful to God for that and for those who have made and continue to make that uh, possible. But I, again, since, since we've had this election and now in the, in the days and weeks to come, we will uh, see all of that finalized and however that goes. And then we'll have that inauguration in January, uh, whoever that is. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll continue on. The good news is that it will be 2021. <laughs> Bye-bye 2020. Wow. Please don't let the door hit you in the back on your way. Uh, but feel free to leave. Uh, that'll be A-okay. Well, we've, uh, I want to share down the line a little bit, not today, but down the line a little bit about what, what we've learned this year. And what, what has God tried to teach us? And what are Romans 8.28 firmly affirms that God can take the worst of situations and, and he can bring good from those things. God does that. And I think that he's doing that this year as well. So now what? Well, I want to share a few things and then have several things to say at the end as we consider what happens now. And again, thinking of it from the perspective in this series of what I believe and why. And so I want to share a few things about that today. First of all, I believe in the power of God. Shared a little bit about this last week 
understanding that I believe in the power of prayer because I believe in the power of God. Last week, as we asked the question, in God, do we trust, really? And not asking it from the perspective of our nation, but asking it from the perspective of our church and of me individually. In God, do, do I trust? Is my trust in God? Or is my trust in something else? And if my trust is in something else and my world falls apart, when that something else falls apart, that's called idolatry in the Bible. That's called worshiping something as God that, that's not God and that is going to have the tendency to disappoint at times. Just as Habakkuk shared, as Michael is sharing in the class, and as Jay mentioned, that was a, a very difficult time in the 6th century B.C. when um, Jeremiah and Habakkuk and the others were seeing the Babylonians, the pagan, ruthless, selfish Babylonians come in and, and God used a more righteous nation to punish or to be punished by a less righteous nation. And that didn't make sense to Habakkuk. But we believe in the power of God. And so we trust and we have faith few scripture passages that are on your outline. If you're watching online, I hope you're able to access that outline through our website. If you have it here and you may want to fill in a blank or two, that's fine. Please note the scripture passages for further study. But one of those is 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that talks about the power of God. But it talks about it from the perspective of the cross of Christ. And that's another one of those things that just flat out doesn't make sense to us didn't make sense to those who were gathered around that cross and challenged Jesus to show his power and to come down from that cross and they would believe. But Jesus refused to do so because he refused to display worldly power. Instead, he displayed godly power. 1 Corinthians 1 talks about the wisdom and the power of God, but it speaks of it again from the perspective of the cross, and that doesn't make sense. To the Jews, he says that's a scandal, and that's the exact word, scandalous. To think of the Savior, the long-awaited Messiah, the son of David, being killed on a, on a cross, becoming a curse as a criminal, that was scandalous. To the Greeks, to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, it was just plain foolish. That was crazy. It just didn't make sense. That's not how power works. The ones who had the power that day were the Jewish leaders and the Romans. They put Jesus to death. But that's not the way God views power. I believe in the power of God. That means sometimes it doesn't make sense to me. Most of the time it does. Paul prayed about his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, thinking that he could be a much more effective minister and missionary if God would take that thorn away. But God's answer to his very fervent, very faithful prayer was, No, no, Paul. You're going to be just as great a servant, even greater for me, with that thorn right there in place, whatever it was. Because Jesus told him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness, not in your strength. And so Paul says, I'm, I'm good with that. I'll go forward with that, God, because when I am weak, then I am strong. But as Paul writes the letter of 2 Timothy, what we call 2 Timothy, to his young 
protege, we're going to read a few verses from 2 Timothy chapter 1 because he talks about power and the power that is available to us. Not just the power that's seen from the, on the cross, but actually the power that is available to us. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 7, <clears throat> For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And that's that's a contradiction the way the world sees things. If you're suffering, then the power is not there. Somebody else has the power. But again, that's worldly power. That's not the power of God. The power of God can be seen clearly in suffering, not in all suffering, but in suffering that's done for the cause of Christ, yes. Verse 9 of 2 Timothy 1, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. A familiar verse in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, that we sing sometimes. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until that day. That's the power of God. It's not seen in the way the world measures power. But Paul says, I firmly believe that, and and we have that power. We don't have to be shy. We don't have to be timid. We don't have to be weak the way God measures weakness. We can be strong even when others are persecuting us. Even when we suffer, we can still be strong. Why? Because of the power of God power of God that it has, that is at work in us. I believe in the power of God. And so, yes, we wait, but we wait, as has been said today, with joy. We wait with assurance. As Danny shared, as we gathered around the table, and what a wonderful message that was. We, we need to gather around the table every week right now, do we not? Far from becoming old and and tiring, it is something that is absolutely essential now more than ever to be able to gather around the table and whether we're at home watching online or here in our auditorium or wherever we might be, being able to remember that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ when the power of God was truly displayed. And no, no, that he gives us that same power and love, and self-discipline. I believe in the power of God. Secondly, I believe in the significance of the church. I believe in the significance of the church. This is what we see in Scripture in passages such as Matthew chapter 16, one of two places where the word church is found. The other in Matthew 18, but in Matthew 16, Jesus asked his apostles, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the internet? What is social media saying about me right now? 
and they say all lots of things. You know, you know people. Some say you're one of the prophets. Some say you're Elijah. Some say this. Some say that. Maybe John the Baptist come back from the dead. And then Jesus points his finger at them and says, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter, in one of those great moments of clarity, of actual divine revelation, he says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus affirms him, and in doing so, he looks back at what Peter just said, and he said, on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church church. I believe in the significance of the church, but when you read the verses that follow that passage, we're reminded once again of what that means, of the power of God, because in that passage that follows, Jesus says, look, here's what this means for me. What it means for me is the cross, crucifixion, and then resurrection, and and what it means for you, Jesus says, same thing, but in a different vein, that you take up your cross, And you follow after me as well. I believe in the significance of the church. Ephesians 1 speaks about that. I do want to read a few verses from Colossians chapter 1. That remind us of the significance of the church. Colossians 1 beginning at verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son, verse 15, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been been created through him and by him and for him. He is before all things, verse 17, and in him all things hold together. He is creator, he is sustainer, but he is also savior. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is creator. Jesus is sustainer. Jesus is Savior giving his life, and Jesus is the head of his body, the church. I believe in the significance of the church. And so I believe that God's got this. Yes, in God we do trust. And yes, I believe this is still my Father's. I believe in the significance of the church. He has given his message, but also his spirit and his presence and his power to us to be able to continue his ministry and his mission, to be a part of that mission. That's the goal and the role of the church. I believe in the power of God, and I believe in the significance of the church. And because of those two things, lastly today, I believe that the church, this church, will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world in the months and years ahead. And no earthly election is going to change that. Sometimes your candidate will win, sometimes they won't. 
in both cases, the church is to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And I don't believe that just about the church overall. I believe that about this church, this specific church, that we are called as the West Irwin Church of Christ, we are called to be the salt of the earth and to be the light of the world. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. And as Jay shared, that means reaching out to others and, and helping them to see the message that saves, helping them to see the one person that has the power to save. And as confusing as it is to think that that power was displayed by his life being ended as a criminal on a cross, we realize that the next few days were absolutely significant as well. That on the third day he was raised from the dead and the stone was rolled away and the seal was broken and the tomb was empty. That's the message that the church, this church, shares with others. And I think you and I have a great opportunity as much as at any time to do that now. Because when our friends or our family members or our co-workers or our fellow students, the ones that we get placed in front of us by the Lord God to have an impact on and an influence on when they see our calmness in light of craziness all around, it can have an effect. It can have an impact. And they may say, why, why, do, you, why, do, you, why do you think this is going to be okay? Why would you think that? <clears throat> and no matter who wins the recount... <laughs> We say that for the same reason. We say that for the same reason. We've said it for the last four years. We say that for the same reason. We said it for the eight years before that and the eight years before that and on and on. It's going to be okay because I believe in the power of God. I believe in the empty tomb. I believe in the significance of the church. And God has called us to share that message. These words that we read in 1 Peter chapter 2 remind us of what the church's call really is. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's not just supposed to stop with us. It's great to be called out of darkness into his marvelous light. So now tell somebody that. When you have the opportunity and with love and humility, but tell them. That's our mission. Once you were not a people, verse 10, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that's hard in a world that doesn't quite get that. And that doesn't quite appreciate that. And at times is actually offended by that. And that's the rest of this. Not just this passage, but the rest of First Peter. Starting with chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 
Just as Jesus said in Matthew 5, let them see your good deeds and praise your heavenly Father. Peter says the same thing to people who actually that's all the opening they had was to live a life of faith and trust and obedience and love right in front of all their friends. And so verse 13 says, submit, submit yourselves to the, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, not for their sake, not even for your sake, but because it's the right thing to do. You do this out of obedience to Christ, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. 1 Peter 2, verse 15, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. What we want to do is we want to tell them how ignorant fools they are. (laughs) And Peter says, no, God's got that part. He'll take care of that in his own good time. Here's your part. Just do good. Whoever lives in the White House, whoever has the majority in the House and the Senate, whoever's got the majority in the Supreme Court, Here's our job. It is God's will that by doing good, we're able to silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. It says the same thing in Galatians 5 and in 1 Corinthians. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And then he goes on and he talks about, but well, what happens if you're treated unfairly? And we don't like that. We believe in in liberty and justice for all, especially us. (laughs) And when we're not treated justly, it wears on us. Well, you may recall this, but Jesus also suffered unjustly. And that's the example that he shares in the verses that follow. And, and he borrows from Isaiah 53 and he reminds us that Jesus went through far more. How did he do it? Well, the middle of verse 23 tells us that. That verse starts out when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, what did he do instead? Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And so it may come down uh, to that whole idea of adjusting our expectations. If your expectations are always to be treated justly in this world, that's going to be hit and miss. And sometimes the miss is going to be pretty hard to take. It was hard for Jesus. But instead of relying on that instead of relying on a good verdict from the Jewish leaders, instead of relying on Pilate to set him free, Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And that's what we do as well. And we pray as the disciples did in Acts chapter 4, not just for safety, not just for Uh, things to be better, but for things to be better so that God's word can be shared. We pray so that we can have boldness and strength 
that even when there's a price to be paid for it, we will honor our God and we will confess the name of Jesus Christ. I believe that the church, this church, will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world in the months and years ahead. I truly, truly believe that. And so as we close today, five short responses in answer to this question. What will we do in the days and months and years ahead? What will this look like? Number one, we will continue to submit. We will continue to submit. And that's not a nice word in the United States of America. (laughs) Submitting is not a nice word. Submission is not a nice word. It's just like those who have power don't have to submit. But whether we have power or not, we will continue to submit to God first and then to our civil authorities. And people in the world, even some of our own friends and family, they won't understand that. And that's 1 Corinthians 1 again. They think that's scandalous. They think that's foolish. Because they're seeing it from the world's perspective. They're viewing power as the world views power and not as the one crucified unjustly on a cross viewed power we will continue to submit secondly we will continue to trust we will continue to trust in the king of kings this week joyce read me something that she saw online and it said um, uh, which image uh, an animal do you ultimately trust in is it an elephant is it a donkey Or is it a lamb? And in the words of Revelation, is it a lamb looking as if it had been slain, killed, dead? It's not the lamb that we see sometime as a powerful creature, but it's a lamb who has been killed, who has been slain. It's that lamb that we trust in. We will continue to trust In the King of Kings, we will continue to pray. We will continue to pray. Pray for our civil leaders in our nation. Pray for our loved ones, our families. And we will continue to pray for our church. Number four, we will continue to serve everyone. We will continue to serve everyone. As much as we have the resources and the ability to do so, we will continue to serve. That's what we're called upon to do. That's what the Son of God came and did. Matthew 20 saying, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That was his mission. And part of that serving meant giving his life as a ransom for many. Some of that serving may be serving in our benevolence center for carrying kitchen on some Monday nights or for uh, handing out food on Wednesday mornings. Some of that serving may be teaching a Bible class or some of that serving may be taking food to someone who is shut in or, or who is going through a difficult time or sending a card or sending a text message. Whatever it might be, we will continue to serve and some of that service may involve speaking a word about the Lord, sharing faith somebody who needs to hear it we will continue to serve and finally we will continue to worship we will continue to worship God alone nobody else nothing else 
we will continue to worship God alone. That's what we've sung today. We bow down and we worship you, Lord. Lord of, our, of all lords, you will be. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you, God, and only you, God. This morning, if we can help you get closer to that one who died for you, come as we stand, as we sing our song together.